You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, we have a very special guest with us in studio. We have Dr. Jody Ann Heath. She is a family practice resident from the Gwinnett Medical Center Residency Training Program. And we also have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Our topic today is Stimulant Nation. We're looking at the role of amphetamines, the other prescription drug. But before we get started, I thought it would be really interesting and helpful for our listeners to understand a little bit about how different North America is from some of the other countries, even countries fairly close to us, in terms of their attitudes towards medications and prescription drugs. So, Dr. Heath, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure thing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And um, as we were talking about the show today, you were mentioning some interesting things about your native country. Yes. So I am from Jamaica, born and raised. And until moving here into the U.S., I have never heard of, you know, stimulants used um, for children. For us back home in Jamaica, it's more behavior training. Mm -hmm. That's what's used to correct, you know, uh, being, you know, either hyperactive or just not listening, whether it's in class, at home. That's how, you know, I was brought up. So looking at it more as a systems problem, helping the child learn the rules, helping the child learn the expected behavior, and then making sure that that expected behavior is followed up with some consequences if they don't. Correct. And how does that work? Well, um, we do have a saying, you know, train train the child when they're young. So it would start from very early. I know um, going to church, um, Mm -hmm. one thing I've noticed my my mom do with, you know, raising my two younger sisters, we learn from a young age while in church as a baby crying. I don't know how, but (laughs) (laughs) they have trained us to, you know, sit still, keep quiet, not always, you know, running, getting up to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. So by some way, just while we're very young, we, we've they've, they've trained us to, to be like that. So you learned at an early age how to act properly in a, um, in a public place Correct, and yes. learned to follow the rules and... I don't suppose anybody died from having to sit still in church. Not at all. I'm still here. (laughs) And a doctor. And a doctor. And a successful one at that. So I think that you you raise such a really interesting uh, perspective. And one of the difficulties, I think, that has occurred here in the U.S. is we've adopted this attitude that there's a pill for everything, that we shouldn't Sneeze. We shouldn't have a, a sore toe. We shouldn't have uh, any kind of problem at all. That there's an external fix for what might be a problem that could be either tolerated or 
learn to be dealt with. And some of the behavioral difficulties that I think many children have here in the United States uh, can be a reflection of difficulty with how they have been raised and how they have been um, educated about what is proper behavior, Mm -hmm. how that has been reinforced. It's hard as a parent, and I'm a parent, and I've got kids, and I, you know, I'm the last one to be judging anybody because, (laughs) believe me, um, yeah. But that being said, I think that um, it's really hard as a parent to be consistent. It's really hard as a parent to say, you're grounded. True, Um, but as we say, it takes a village Mm -hmm. to raise a child, and if I was out in the street, or, you know, just out and about, and if I wasn't acting accordingly, and if a friend, my my mom, you know, friend of the family, anyone who knew me, they would, they had no problem coming over and correcting me. (laughs) No problem doing it, and then they'll let my parents know, and guess what? When I go back home, my parents will set me straight again. That is one aspect of that you don't think about in terms of it takes a village, it takes a community, is that not only do parents feel, feel it's okay to correct someone else's child, but there's also a relationship there where they will let that child know that your parents are about to find this out too. Right. And that's a very important cultural thing that, again, I think many of our families today do not live in an extended family situation or in a neighborhood where your neighbors are well known to you. I have to honestly admit I have no idea who my neighbors are. And I think that that also reflects on the fact that many families find themselves in the same situation where there aren't other eyes and ears that can help inform the family that one child or another is having some difficulty. Which is true. Which is true. I can agree with that. Um, I guess if you, you know, staying in your community, if you stay in your community, I guess that that will probably be, you know, a more appropriate situation, whereas mm-hmm. if you move outside of the community, then it's, it's of course, it's, it will be a little harder. Mm-hmm. But I think your point is very well taken, and I, I would encourage families, especially if reports are coming home from school, if there are suggestions being made by the Sunday school teacher or mm-hmm. by the Uh, nursery school leader that there are problems that maybe one of the things to look at is how consistent am I being as a parent how consistent am I being with my message and does our does my child really understand that when I say no that means no that doesn't mean keep asking me until I either get embarrassed or so mad that I'm going to go ahead and give it to you so you'll stop asking me that I think is one of the (laughs) problems that I see over and over again go to any grocery store on a Saturday afternoon and you're going to see that displayed right in front of you the mother or the father saying no you can't have that no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. And then eventually, guess what? They'll get it. They'll they get, get it. it. They'll get it. And the child has just learned, I've got to 
outweight mom or dad. I've got to out-argue. I've got to just be persistent, and I'll get what I want. They have not learned that no means no, and that rewards are to be earned, and that consequences are what happens when you have not exhibited good behavior. And that is a message that is really hard. And most of our kids these days, unfortunately, have not learned this. Well, and, you know, we talk about that dynamic in terms of parents structuring children, but it's also one that we deal with on our our daily basis in our adult lives, whether it's family members or or professional relationships where that same dynamic of just continuing to bring up a subject and badger and badger and badger, hoping you're eventually going to win out. <laughs> and the, I think as a society, we've we've kind of forgotten whether it's to others or to ourselves that no means no. No means no. In all kinds of situations. Now, some of you may be scratching your heads going, why are they talking about this? And why are they talking about parenting skills and children's bad behaviors in public? But I think that goes to the situation that we're facing, which is some of the issues related to the stimulant use and the prescribing of stimulants for children even as young as two and three years of age to control a diagnosis of ADHD. So I'm going to back up a minute and throw this over to you, David, because as we were talking about the show for today, we talked about this particular topic not because we treat children and not because we diagnose ADHD, but because we're seeing the other side of that, and that has to do with the new and increasing abuse of stimulants. Well, and what's been so interesting is we're seeing a dynamic now in the stimulant world that we saw five years ago in the opiate world, um, and, and we hadn't seen this particular dynamic before, which is what I thought was so interesting that we should talk about. Because for a long time with stimulants, people who are prescribed stimulants, we would see them because they would get into this kind of up-and-down pattern where they would have stimulants in the morning to get going, and then they would have depressants in the evening to come back down, and they would be coming to, to us because of benzodiazepine dependency or alcohol dependency directly connected to how they were how they were adjusting their their brains um, with with the amphetamines, um, but the dynamic that we've had some recent phone calls about um, is that people who are legitimately prescribed um, a amphetamine type product, a stimulant type product, are using it in an abusive way, and they're running out quickly, and then they're turning to the street and they're getting either cocaine or crystal meth. Um, not as their drug of choice, but just what they use until they're eligible for another prescription, which is what we used to see that in the in the right. opiate world all the time. They would get their pain medications, and then when they ran out early, they would go to other people who they knew had that, or mm-hmm. they'd go to the street to get it until they were able to get another prescription. So that's that's the dynamic that really struck me as interesting, how the the prescribed medications now, the um, Ritalin and Adderall and, and Vyvanse, these are powerful um, um, neurostimulants that people are seeking in the exact same way that they were seeking cocaine and crystal meth. And you're right, David, and I think this goes even further. When we look at the phenomenon that happened back in the 90s with the medications uh, for chronic pain, 
as the pharmaceutical companies came up with medications for longer acting, focused at the non-malignant, meaning not for cancer pain, but the more chronic pain, as new medications were developed, now we suddenly had new indications, now we suddenly had new prescriptions. That same phenomenon has now occurred with the medications to treat ADD. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to explore this similarity a little bit more. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today in studio from the Atlanta Healing Center, I have David Donaldson. And from Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Program, we have Dr. Um, Jody Ann Heath, who has joined us. She's been rotating with us at the Atlanta Healing Center, and we have certainly enjoyed having her with us. Today we're talking about 
Stimulant Nation, the other prescription drug epidemic. This has been a really interesting trajectory of um, development of stimulants. So the stimulants have been with us for a long time. They were around back in the um, late 1900s and um, discovered as are <laughs> many of the drugs that we talk about and the, uh, the illicit and illicit substances we talk about discovered in Germany. And they were used as um, a way to help people stay alert they were used as a way to help um, in the military. Many times uh, the amphetamines were part of uh, a way in which people coped with very stressful, high-intensity ten- high situations. Then we began to see a shift, and we began to see a shift in um, the 1980s as they began to be not so much used by adults, but used by children. When we look at the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that's the diagnosis Bible, if you will, of the American Psychiatric Association, the incidence or the frequency of um, finding ADD in the population is really quite low. It's a, it's rare. In fact, uh, estimates have been that it's typically uh, less than four percent of the population. So it's around uh, the same in frequency that we would see bipolar or manic depressive disorder or schizophrenia. So these are obviously devastating mental illnesses, but they are not nearly as common as some of the other illnesses that we see. They began to develop back in the 80s these medications for children, and methylphenidate or Ritalin was one of the first one that was released. So we saw about 1% of the population back in the late 80s to early 90s being prescribed and given medication for ADHD. Now that has increased to almost 16% of kids in North America being prescribed. Now this is North America, and by that I mean uh, the U.S. and Canada, and as Dr. Heath, you pointed out, this is not the experience of of many other uh, countries that this medication would not be given to children. As um, in the mid-90s, we began to see Adderall. Uh, Lots of people laugh at the name, and I don't know whether this is an anecdote or true, but the the way Adderall is spelled, it's A-D-D, fur, there's no F in it, but E-R-A-L-L, uh, Adderall for all. Uh, so the, uh, <laughs> or A-D-D for all, excuse me. Um, so the spelling of that uh, particular medication is quite interesting. That was developed. Then we began to see a very interesting phenomenon as now suddenly adults who had never been diagnosed as kids, who had not been given medication as kids, but now adults, starting with college-age students, began more and more to be prescribed this medication. So the rates of prescribing have increased, just like we saw, David, as you mentioned, the situation with the opiates. So the opioids rock along, rock along, and then we get OxyContin, 
the long-acting opioid. Now that's being marketed. Everybody needs to have it. We see this huge increase, significant increase in the prescribing and the number of people taking it. And we've seen that same increase. We've seen it go from 4 million prescriptions written in 1991 for stimulants, and the vast majority of those were for Ritalin or methylphenidate. Um, now increasing to in 2011 to 51 million. So from 4 million to 51 million, and we've now seen a, a dramatic shift. Now fewer prescriptions for methylphenidate and much more for the amphetamine salts, um, which are um, usually found in things like um, Vyvanse and, and Adderall and other um, stimulants that are of the amphetamine type. And many of these scripts are for adults. So, this has been an interesting phenomenon, and now we're seeing people doctor shop Mm -hmm. for the amphetamines, just like we saw the phenomenon of people doctor shopping for the opiates. I would go to this doctor and take my x-rays and talk about all my pain and get my prescription, and then I'd go to this doctor. Now it's been very interesting to see what happens as we look at the PDMP, the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program that we have here in Georgia and, in fact, is available in most states, and we see that patients are going to four, five, six doctors and getting prescriptions for these meds. So part of your experience as you've done your rotations, you've been in places where you've noticed this this trend going on? Oh, yes, most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. I have patients, um, you know, come in, um, you know, asking for a refill on, you know, a certain medication. And they've been told numerous times, because we are a residency program, we do not prescribe um, controlled substances. And they would want us to go around like, oh, why don't you get your attendant to do it? And I'd repeat myself, again, we are a residency program, we do not prescribe controlled substances. Yeah. And they would probably not take that very well. Oh, no. A lot of them don't. A lot of them don't. We, you know, end up having to get an attendant, talk with them. And it's every time they come. So I guess they, you know, hoping we will break down and just (laughs) be like, okay, all right, we'll give you 10. (laughs) But, you know, I normally stand firm and say, no, you know, we, we don't do it. So. And then as you've done your rotations in, in some of the other areas, um, I'm imagining that you came across this phenomenon in some of the other areas as well? Um, Yes, definitely in the hospital. It's very hard to find out who's drug-seeking and who's not. You know, you don't want to think that everyone is drug-seeking. So it's it's trying to use your best judgment on who needs what. But... um, most of the time, I've found that, you know, I've been right. <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I do deny someone pain meds or, you know, whatever it is, and their reaction, you know, it says a lot. It speaks volumes to me. It speaks volumes to me, yeah. And then you follow up with a drug test and a check of the PDMP, and sure enough, just as you yes. thought, this person may have a pain problem, may have an attention problem, but they 
really have an addiction problem and they are using these meds because again the parallel with our prescription opioids our pain medications is that these two are schedule two meaning these are substances these are medications that have a high abuse potential and so because of that, the FDA has made a number of requirements around how these medications are, be, are to be prescribed. One of the difficulties for the patient seeking them is that this has to be a written prescription. And this has to be signed by someone who has a DEA number permission from the Drug Enforcement Agency to be able to write for these high-risk medications. It has to be a medication that is signed by the doctor. There's a lot of different requirements about how the prescription is actually written, including you have to include your DEA number as the prescriber that you are able to write this, which means nurse practitioners, um, physician's assistants, these folks may in many states not be able to actually write these, that only MDs or DOs are able to prescribe these medications. They also can't be called in, so you can't pick up a phone and call the pharmacy and say, I'd like to call in a refill on Adderall for Mrs. So-and-so. That's not going to work. You have to have a written prescription, and there can't be refills. Therefore, the person has to come in every month, and the idea is that you're seeing the doctor, and the doctor is evaluating you both for signs of efficacy from the drug. Is it helping for what we're prescribing it for? But also, is there any problems? Have you had side effects? Is there any indication that this person might be misusing this drug or um, signs of other types of addiction? The um, that creates a lot of logistics uh, for both the practitioner who's prescribing and the patient who's trying to get their medication, hence them coming to your clinic trying to convince you to write, um, not only for them, but maybe their kids. So the the parallels are so interesting. But what is um, surprising to me is, while people have now a really good idea, you can't live in America today and not understand the dangers of the opioids. We're not talking about it at all. For the same dangers, following the same pathways, looking at the same intensity of addiction for the stimulants that are now commonly prescribed for children. Well, and part of the, because, you know, AHC is an adult's, program right. and and so part of as we were looking at it and the clients that we're hearing from we're hearing it from college students from housewives from a lot of um, adults <laughs> um, and I, th- I think um, the, the the creativity of adults to go in and get these scripts written for them or to have somebody else that's going in and getting these scripts is, is pretty amazing certainly is. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll look a little more at Stimulant Nation. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. Today with me in studio, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and Dr. Jody Ann Heath from the Gwinnett Medical Center uh, Family Practice Residency Training Program. Thank you both for being here today as we talk about this very interesting phenomenon that we see called Stimulant Nation. Now, as we've seen, there continue to be parallels with the opiate crisis, and that is that there there was a crisis before of stimulants in the early 80s. Now, many of these were not being prescribed by doctors, but manufactured in somebody's bathtub. Methamphetamine was a big deal. Truckers used it. Um, a lot of the motorcycle gangs used this. This was a we called it crank and ice and a lot of um, other kinds of names. And people don't make the connection that these are the same medication, these are the same substances that we are talking about today when we talk about Adderall and some of the other amphetamine salts, either the dextroamphetamine or the mixed amphetamine salts, not recognizing this whole process. And just as we saw with the opiates that now chronic pain became the reason. We used to use the opiates for acute pain. You broke your leg or you had surgery. We used opiates for end-of-life care to help people as they're going through um, the terrible pain that's often associated with cancer or other very terminal and, and tragic illnesses. But now we have this middle ground, this group of chronic pain. 
We're seeing the continued use of the stimulants in children for diagnosis of ADHD, but now we suddenly have a phenomenon that many psychiatrists say doesn't really exist, which is adult ADD. Uh, there are folks that would argue back and forth, and before we get hate mail and people um, not loving us anymore, I do want to acknowledge that this is a real disorder and that there are people who truly do have ADHD. We can see the evidence on that of that on their brain maps and in some of the testing they do. But just like chronic pain, which is very difficult to diagnose because it's the person's subjective report, there aren't specific tests that you can do to diagnose somebody with ADHD or ADD. So many times people can go in and convince a doctor that they have these symptoms. And many people do. And the um, there's a, a variety of reasons that people use these stimulant medications. Some of it is because they have ADD. Some of it is because they have narcolepsy, the sleep disorder. Uh, before 1990, these medications were often um, the medication of choice for treating obesity. Since 1990, they have not been recommended. So your voice is going away. <laughs> Sorry, they've not been re recommended for obesity treatment, but we're seeing the adult ADD now filling that middle gap of a hard-to-diagnose. And there's still the belief, actually, that stimulants um, are effective for weight loss, but but the rebound that comes from using stimulants for weight loss is, is still pretty pretty extensive. Um, and they're shown not to work, except for in the first few months. For the short term. They're, they're very short, um, and uh, pretty soon the person taking them um, no longer has that significant weight loss, which is the good news for kids, because we do know that there is both height and um, a change in their ability to grow taller and their ability to put on weight. That happens uh, when kids take these medications, especially if they take them continuously without the recommended drug holidays during vacations and weekends and summertime. So part of, because we kind of threw this topic at Dr. Heath when we were just <laughs> chatting at work, and part of the, the articles that we looked up and discovered was looking at this this phenomenon of people saying so I have a friend who has this question and, and there's this great web, website if your friend has this question about um, the effects of, of Adderall so I'm going to throw that your direction <laughs> the asking for a friend asking for a friend I would ask for a friend also <laughs> but um, with reading this article it it's kind of um, you know it resonated well with me because um, in med school, there's a lot of um, students who, of course, I didn't catch on until when I was graduating that use these stimulants to help them, well, f according to them, to focus while, you know, taking exams. And, you know, it just stunned me. It was like, oh, you guys use something to help you, you know, focus on an exam. So I thought, you know, reading the article, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, well, I see where this comes in. Um, but 
I think of the way that, you know, it would affect you, especially if it's not something you use regularly, if it's like a one-time thing, you're going to get this surge of dopamine because that's what mm-hmm. happens. And then all of a sudden when all that dopamine goes away, gonna you know, you're going to crash. So, you know, I would caution people who take these medication either for just a test or, you know, just to, to concentrate, you know, without seeing a real doctor for, for stuff like that. It is very dangerous, and it's also not very effective. The types of memory that um, these drugs stimulate, uh, because that's one of the, that is one of the myths out there, is that you can take the Adderall and it will help you. Now, when people have ADD, they are lacking a filter, that filter that helps them keep focused even though there's some noise in the room or somebody sneezes or there's puppies and shiny things. They can keep their focus. When you don't have ADD, what happens is you get stimulated. You get more energy. People who have ADD, these stimulants actually paradoxically calm them down. So you get stimulated. You can stay up longer you can study through the night mm-hmm. and still feel like you've got energy the next day. Right. Um, and you can focus, but your ability to remember is uh, problematic in two ways. First of all, it's state-dependent learning. You'll only be able to recall some of that stuff if you were taking Adderall again. And that's a common mistake people make as they get enough to study they borrow or buy it from a friend, but they don't remember they have to also be under the influence when they take the test. And it does not help with learning reasoning kinds of memory problems. So it might help you remember the name of the capital of uh, Alabama, but it's not going to help you be able to write an essay and to put together the logic of what happened during you know, the, the civil rights movement. So it is not the, the same kind of learning that people are expecting it. And it's a problem. Yeah, I think it's a misconception, you know, when you say, oh, it, it'll make you remember. You know, just a miscon- misconception, you know, that people have. And So part so. of what was cute, I think, though, about that article is that among college students that are out there illegally or... In it's whatever illegal. way, taking mm-hmm. um, taking Adderall that's not been prescribed to them, there's a small percentage of them that it works for. Right. And that's because they actually are in that percentage of people that had to have ADD. And they, if it's working for them, they need to go to a doctor and, and talk to them, the doctor who's who's specialized in this, and, and have it prescribed and monitored legitimately. Because as you were saying earlier, there's reasons that the government requires the follow-up appointments and, and that they require that the testing is being done and that you're having the holidays from it. So. If it's working for them, they need to go about the legitimate method of having it prescribed correctly. But the risks, if you're not, if you're not ADD and you're taking this highly addictive, highly neurotoxic substance, also very high. And this is one of the difficulties because just as many of these young people won't know that they really do have ADD until they experience it. 
a lot more of these folks don't know they have the disease of addiction until they start taking this very powerful releaser of dopamine. These medications release more dopamine than cocaine, than uh, opiates, than heroin. This is powerfully addictive. You have no idea. And it's not only releasing this massive amount of the pleasure chemical, but and you made um, a reference to this, Dr. Heath, a moment ago, when you talked about the coming down. Mm -hmm. Because it's also releasing and then... Uh, eliminating the storage of serotonin, our mood chemical. So as you're coming down, it's not just that, oh, I'm really tired because I've been up and I'm really hungry because I haven't eaten. It's now I'm very depressed because now I don't have any serotonin, our mood-regulating neurotransmitter in our brain. So this continued uh, problem of now I'm depressed, seriously depressed, potentially suicidal, that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Part of the way it talks about it is, is that the sads are coming. The, the, the drugs gave you the happies, and they're going to be followed by the sads. And, and what's so tragic is that's part of that cycle that we've seen mm -hmm. for a long time where people are coming to doctors and getting medications for the SADs, for the depression and for the, the, the lack of ability to feel any sort of joy but they're not disclosing, hey I was getting Adderall from my roommate and um, it was helping me study um, but actually it was just making me high and I missed that and also it's causing me to have, have chronic depression and this is um a big, big problem for a lot of patients, and especially if they don't really understand the powerful nature of this drug. They're now coming down off of it, and they're really depressed, and they really can't sleep in the depressive kind of way, not the I've had too much coffee stimulants, I've had too much Adderall kind of way. I can't sleep because I don't have serotonin. My mood is depressed. Now I really can't concentrate. I didn't really have a concentration problem before. I had a procrastination problem, mm -hmm. and I left my studying off to the last minute. Then I decided to take the Adderall. Now I have a concentration and memory problem because I don't have enough serotonin for my brain to work right. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the neurotoxic consequences of these meds. Stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, 
it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank on America's Web Radio. Today, we're very grateful to have our special guest, Dr. Heath from the Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Training Program. It's been um, delightful having you with us this month and certainly today at the show. And David Donaldson, as always, thank you for being here from the Atlanta Healing Center. Glad to be here. We are talking about Stimulant Nation because I think this is the other prescription drug epidemic that nobody seems to be talking about and certainly nobody's worried about as much as we are worried about. And so as you were talking about how our society has changed its relationship to opiates where once upon a time um, if you had had some problem you would just you know, take two aspirin and call the doctor. Now it now the thought is you get a Loratab or you get a Percocet. Um, we're having that same reaction with the with the stimulants since there's medications that now work. Our, our society is downgrading the seriousness of just how strong they are. And I thought this example was really highly um, personified. Again, as we were talking with about about your home country of Jamaica, when you were talking about after surgery, yes. down there, yes. So um, after surgery, um, I, I I would probably say for most Caribbean islands because I did go to school in Saint Kitts, which is also another Caribbean island, and even doing rounds on surgery wards, no one gets IV pain medication. No one does. You get something that is comparable. They call it Panadol, which is pretty much Tylenol, the, the British version of Tylenol. And that's what you get for pain to go home and while you're there. So there isn't this strong dependence on IV medication, and it's pretty much, you know, known. And even um, with talking with a friend, um, I was asking about, you know, opioids, how, you know, if it's on the streets, because he was saying that a friend um, was coming from the States for detox. And, you know, I started to say, well, you know, what if she has a relapse? You know, she might find fi- uh, find a way to buy it on the streets. And he was like, no, we don't have these things here because it's not here. It's it's not provided here. So, you know, it's not we don't we don't have, you know, opioids on the streets. So. so when you hear about that, you would think 
no IV medications after surgery, that's medical malpractice. I mean, you would just think that that's cruel and, and unusual treatment, but the reality is there are a lot of parts of the world where yes. Tylenol is a standard post-operative yep. medication because it blocks the pain signal. It right. Yeah. And aspirin and um, and a ibuprofen, lot of ibuprofen, ibuprofen, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's head-to-head studies now showing that some of the non-steroidals are as effective as some of the opioids like hydrocodone. Um, and when patients don't know what they're getting post-op, so this phenomenon now. Um, we, we worry about it for children because their brains are developing and taking this medication if they don't need it. It affects their ability to grow taller, sometimes up to an inch or two in height reduction may be uh, possible. They often have trouble maintaining their weight. Chronic insomnia is a big problem for these kids. The other thing is, is if they come off of them, they often have tremendous weight gains. And this uh, has been uh, an issue for a number of kids. The, the long-term effect of these powerful medications, and we're talking using them in normal therapeutic doses, can still, there's some concern that this may create long-term mood disorders because of the depletion of serotonin and the um, destruction to some of the transport mechanisms for serotonin and dopamine. And that there also may be some increased risk of dementia and other long-term memory problems because of the action on our memory center, our hippocampus, our little seahorses in our heads. When you move into adult use, the older you are when you start, the more likely you are to have long-term brain damage. In fact, it looks like if kids are diagnosed early before the age of six or seven, and given these medications, there may actually be a neuroprotective effect for them. But much beyond that, if they're started on it, they now have increased risk of developing problems with metabolism of sugar, so diabetes is uh, becomes a, a greater risk for them. They're going to have some effect on the pituitary gland, so there may be some risk of fertility, and this new data that's showing this increased risk of potentially developing dementia or chronic memory problems as an adult really significant. Then if you add to that patients who have addiction and begin to use these drugs in massive amounts, way above therapeutic doses, sometimes now not even pharmaceutical grade because they can't get the uh, the prescription, so they buy methamphetamine that has again been made in somebody's bathtub. Um, remember Breaking Bad for those of you who need a cultural reference. Um, the effect on these people long term people have strokes people have heart attacks people have uh, obviously if they're injecting increased risk of HIV hepatitis C um, and all kinds of infections associated with injection the trajectory of the downward effect of these drugs in terms of on their life is very steep Folks often lose everything and um, very quickly, including their brain and their ability to ever feel pleasure or have a normal mood again. It's so so interesting 
when you're when you're working with somebody who's who's been sent to you for some reason other than abusing the Adderall, um, and they're there for an evaluation or they're there for um, some disorganization issues, and you try to talk to them about the Adderall is the, is a big contributing part of this issue, and it's something that you need to let go of. The resistance um, is is every bit as great as if you were talking to a cocaine addict or a crystal meth addict or someone who's a more traditional from the streets um, kind of client patient. Right, and they they hold on to the idea I have ADD, and maybe they do, but right. there are other ways to treat that that don't have to involve using a Schedule II highly neurotoxic. The, uh, extremely addictive substance. There are other ways to manage it. And in fact, one of the other ways that I was reading about um, that that gets very little recognition is healthy sleep. Yes. <laughs> that when people when people make a routine of seven to nine hours of sleep, their their reported energy is better. Their reported concentration is better. Um, and and there was a, there was a study released recently that talked about sleep disorder as being one of the leading contributors to adult-onset addiction, whether it's stimulants or alcoholism, that not not practicing just good sleep hygiene is part of what leads to self-medicating with waking up or going t- turning out. So, yes, there are a number of ways to manage this disorder, um, and this is something to, for people to really take seriously. I also hope that people take seriously what we've talked about in terms of the parallels with the prescription drug epidemic, the the one that gets all the news and makes all the magazines and newspapers, radio and TV shows, and certainly we've talked about it enough on this show, the opioid epidemic. Be prepared. We are seeing this parallel with the stimulant epidemic. And just as we see people getting tighter around, which hasn't even begun to happen yet, unfortunately, tighter around prescribing, doctors getting the message, this is dangerous, this is causing long-term, potentially permanent brain problems, health problems, um, where what we're going to see is then the increase in illicit substances. We're going to see just as the supply of the opioids, the prescriptions went away. Now we have a heroin problem. I'm predicting here, you guys can write this day down, I'm predicting here that today um, on America's Web Radio we're going to see as people become more aware of this uh, Adderall crisis, I'm going to call it, it's going to move into a methamphetamine and cocaine crisis. We're going to see the illicits increase. We're already seeing it. We're seeing it in our practice. We're seeing patients come in on Adderall, which has been very different. Before, they would come in on methamphetamine or cocaine. But a lot of our adults are now being seduced in with the idea of you have ADHD and let's take these medications. Now let's doctor shop. Now let's get as many as we can. Now we're in trouble because my insurance company just figured it out or my doctors just figured it out. I've been cut off. Now I'm going to methamphetamine. Now I'm going to cocaine. Uh, it's um, it's going to be very, very interesting. 
and something we have to really watch. So, well, and especially at, at that point, the link between going to heroin. Um, because heroin can act as a stimulant for these people, or going initially, um, or going to kratom, which is being advertised as a legal stimulant, and then going to heroin is a path that we've seen. And we will continue to see this um, this kind of evolution of the difficulty with um, addiction and we have become a stimulant nation no one's really talking about it but it's something to consider and to be very careful think really hard if you want to start your children on these substances there are mixed results as to whether or not it increases the risk of addiction later but the studies are clear it does have long-term impact so again thank you for being with us today dr heath thank you for having me thank you david and thank you all for listening we'll see you next time on detailing addiction Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.